0: Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to begin reading in verse 10. The Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girded about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication, the Spirit watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints." So today we're going to be talking about the sword of the spirit in verse 17. Again, talking about the the armor of God. And uh, here we have the the sword of the spirit. It's often been said that the sword of the spirit is really the only offensive uh, piece of the armor, so to speak. Uh, I think actually as we study this, we're going to see that is partly true. There is an offensive and defensive side to it. But nonetheless, uh, it is a very unique thing, but it, it is indeed a weapon. And we kind of, but when we think about the armor of God, it kind of, this kind of reminded me, as I was studying a little story. This is a, a humorous story that's been around for a while. I'm not the first person who told it by any means. and so, But anyways, the story goes that an elderly woman had just returned home from her church service when she was startled by an intruder at her home. She caught the man in the act of robbing her home of its valuables, and she yelled, Stop! Acts 2.38! which Acts 2.38 says what? Repent, <laughs> right? Turn from your sin. That's the, the, the mindset of that. So she said, Acts, stop, 2.38. So the the, the burglar, she, he stopped dead in his tracks. So then the woman, she then calmly called, called the police and explained what had happened. Then the officer came, and as the officer was handcuffing the man and take him in, he asked the burglar, well, sir, why did you just stand there? All the old lady did was yell a Bible verse at you. Bible verse, replied the burglar. She said she had an axe and two thirty-eights. Right? It must have been Davies. Okay. We we'll probably close the service right now, right? So. But you know, this humorous story probably isn't true, but nonetheless, it reminds us of. Uh, kind of the importance of having uh, the Word of God and uh, using it even when we least expect it. And I think that's kind of interesting uh, in that story uh, because a lot of times the spiritual attacks that we do get happen usually without notice. They sneak up on us. Uh, temptation comes or crises comes where a lot of times we have to react uh, very quickly. You don't have a lot of time to think. And so by understanding the Word of God and understanding its place and its value that we, it, God has given to our lives, how much we definitely need the Word of God in our lives. And so that's kind of the, really the focus of it, talking about the sword of the Spirit. You see, the armor of God is properly suited for every believer. By putting on this spiritual armor, we are then mobilized to live truthfully. That's the belt of truth. To live righteously. That's the breastplate. And then for the Lord, we stand confidently in the shoes of the gospel of peace then we talk about the shield of faith. And that's simply by holding the shield of faith. We are doing so by trusting God no matter what is thrown our way, even the fiery darts of the wicked. Last time we were together, we looked at the helmet of salvation, which gives us protection that will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It gives us assurance. You see, spiritual warfare is real. As Warren Wiersbe once said, that the Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground. Spiritual warfare is real, but in Christ, putting on the Lord Jesus Christ and putting on his armor, we have victory. We are overcomers. Praise God for that. You see, wearing the armor of God really affects us on how we live in our personal life. Remember Ephesians 4 verse 1, to walk worthy of the vocation or the calling that he has given us. How we walk in our own life, walking circumspectly, walking wisely, walking in love. Uh, Wearing the armor affects us in our marriage. That's the end of chapter uh, 5, dealing with husbands and wives and the the family. And then also dealing with children. It's the beginning of chapter 6. And then even uh, just before the armor of God, it talks about employment, how you interact with each other, even at the job site. So in other words, wearing the armor of God needs to be worn every day, all day, always. How important we need the armor of God in our lives. I think it's important as well in our Christian life that we be careful not to become overconfident or even arrogant in your walk with the Lord. Some people say, well, I've been a Christian. I've been doing good. Everything's been going well. I don't need to put on the armor. I'm doing great. Well, you never know when you're going to need it, such as that lady with the burglar in her house. You never know when you're going to need the armor of God. You see, having victory in doing this, calls us to know how to use the sword of the Spirit. So we're going to talk about now of using that sixth piece of the armor, which is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And so we're going to kind of break this down today and kind of looking at three aspects. We're going to look at the sword itself, why it's called the sword of the Spirit, and then the Word of God and exactly what that means. And I think, uh, to be honest with you, it's a little surprising when we look at the Word of God exactly what Paul is referring to here. So as we look at this again, Paul, as he's we believe he's under house arrest when he writes the book of Ephesians, and he is chained to a Roman guard who naturally would have had on the armament that Paul is describing here. If nothing else, the people around him, the soldiers around him, or even in Ephesus, a lot of people would have you could easily identify a Roman soldier in Ephesus or in Rome in, in that region. And so Paul is again. Uh, utilizing this this the armor of God by having this great object lesson there in front of them talking about again the belt of truth the breastplate of righteousness the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace the shield of faith the helmet of salvation now the sword of the spirit so what exactly was the sword especially in the Roman times Well, you see here that the Roman sword that was used was called the gladius. You think of gladiator, for example. But gladius, it was really a short sword, about 18 to 20 inches long, the blade. And it was a double-sided sword. It was a short sword that, as opposed to, let's say, the Thracian sword or the other swords that were in that area, those would have been the broad swords. I think a lot of times when you see someone or talking about the armor of God, they think of this big wielding sword that they're hovering all over the place, you know, with that that's not the sword that we're talking about here, okay? That's kind of like a, this broad, sweeping sword that you see. By the way, when Jesus comes back in Revelation chapter 19, talks about the sword that come out of his mouth. That, that's actually talking about that broad sword that makes sweeping changes. But what we're talking about here is really that gladius. It's that, it's that sword that was often used by legionaries in the Roman uh, army, and it was used basically for stabbing and thrusting. As you think about the shield of faith remember that the armor of God all these pieces they work together to have one without the other basically made a a soldier not effective and so by having that shield that shield again was about about four feet tall a soldier could easily hide behind but what would happen is this a soldier would come with his right hand and he would take that gladius and when they would get up in the lines in their formations and get up to near the enemy they could basically come from behind the shield and they could basically thrust that shield or thrust, thrust that short sword in and out or it would make a stabbing motion. And so you would not have those broad sweeps that you sometimes see in the movies. Okay, that's Hollywood. It didn't happen like that in the Roman Empire. Okay, very different. However, it was very effective and the Romans were basically, they were like a machine on the battlefield in regards to that. Okay, so this is important to understand that. Now the sword, again, here, as we talk about, was actually both used defensively and offensively. Okay, when, when someone is striking against you, obviously you can use your sword to block. Okay? Anyone ever done sword fighting? Any Olympians here? Any gold medalists? Okay. <laughs> All right. But, anyways, if you use a sword, obviously there's there's positions and you can use a sword to block. It's not always offensive. And so there's that side of it. And we're going to actually see, I think that's the majority of what Paul is focusing on here because we are learning how to stand there for standing your ground. And to do that, basically, that's getting your position. It's a defensive position, ready whenever an attack comes. You are ready whenever Satan's attacks are going to come at you. And so I think that's, that's the primary look at this. But there's also an offensive side to it as well. Like I said, that sword would have been used for awesome, for, for thrusting, for... Um, for stabbing those and so what it amounts to is this the Roman sword was really built for close contact fighting it was built for close contact fighting when shields are up against each other for, with you and the enemy you can come and you can make those quick thrusts and make make the, your uh, attack at the enemy so this is very important so there is times where we use the Word of God even offensively in that, that sword of the spirit but here's the bottom line no matter your position whether it's offense or defensively basically what are you supposed to do with the sword of the spirit use it use it this is important here the idea that we have here again looking in the context here it says in verse 17 at the beginning and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit so just as you would take the helmet of salvation you now take the sword of the spirit now the the greek word take here It's really the idea of, it's different than in verse 16, where it says here in verse 16, taking the shield of faith. Verse 17 is a different Greek word, and the idea means to receive or accept as given by a commander. So in other words, talking about the helmet of salvation, that is one that you are given by your commander. That's the assurance that he is in charge and you're with him, you will win. You have that assurance, you have confidence. And now talking about that, uh, sword of the spirit that's also given by your commander he has given you that weapon what are you supposed to do take it and use it okay so very important as we see here for us to simply say god i'm good i don't need this stuff i don't need your help i think i can handle this issue on my own i've heard so many christians say i heard someone recently actually uh basically saying that, you know, I can handle all I can handle these problems. If, if I really need to, I can pray to God, and maybe he'll help me then. How foolish we are to walk in this life without being properly equipped for the battles that God has so graciously equipped us for with his armor. Pretty amazing when we think about that, what God has done for us. You see, when we take up the armor of God, and when we take up, especially today, the sword of the Spirit, what are we doing in essence? In this way, I believe we can resist the devil and he will flee from us. How do you resist the devil? You say no, right? Just say no, but you resist the devil, he will flee from us. And we're going to see by using the sword of the spirit, how we can actively resist Satan's attacks that come at us right and left. So let's talk about, that's the purpose of the sword, but let's now talk about the sword of the spirit as it's talked about here. The sword of the spirit, we see here, first of all, that spiritual warfare Requires spiritual weapons. Spiritual warfare requires spiritual weapons. Turn with me over to Second uh, Corinthians chapter ten. 2 Corinthians chapter ten. This is a beautiful passage here that kind of speaks about uh, about what we how we war. Okay. Let's start with me in verse three. Okay, Paul says here. For Second uh, Corinthians ten verse three, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. That kind of goes to what Paul said again in uh, uh, Ephesians six twelve. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our our real enemy is not your neighbor or someone you're having problems with at work or your family member, or whatever. That's not talking about that. Our real enemy is a spiritual enemy. It's Satan and his dominions. So as we think about that. It says in verse three, we do not war after the flesh. It says here in verse four, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or of the flesh, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strong uh, of strongholds. In other words, that the weapons that God has given us can defeat Satan and his and his in his kingdom. Pretty amazing. Verse five. Let's see how that works in action. Casting down every imagination or arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and brings into captivity Every thought to the obedience of Christ. So here's the the ultimate goal. What is the the end result of? spiritual warfare when we are properly equipped with the armor of God and even use the spirit the sword of the Spirit as Satan and his kingdom is defeated. And by the way, he is a defeated foe. All right? Don't let him uh, convince you otherwise. He is defeated, his days are numbered. All right? But it says here by casting down these imaginations or arguments of every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, birth captivity, every thought to the obedience of Christ. So here's the point everything will ultimately fall under the feet of Jesus Christ, to the obedience of him. That's the ultimate goal. Right now, Satan is in rebellion against God, and he desires that the world, even you, would be in rebellion against God and his word. But the end result is that everything will be brought to the obedience of Christ. And we're going to see kind of that's really the thrust of, no pun intended, of the sword of the spirit, is obedience as we see this, okay? Obedience to what God has said. So as we think about this, that the spiritual warfare requires spiritual weapons. But let's now look at the sword of the spirit. He is the author of the word, okay? It says here, take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Again, back in Ephesians 6, okay? So we know that through the spirit. We know talking about God, it says, which is the word of God here. We'll talk more specifically about that. But let's look at the role of the spirit with the word of God. First of all, we know that the Spirit is the author of the Word, of the, of the Scriptures we have. And the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Is God-breathed, is the literal idea of it. It's God-breathed. That's through His Spirit. Everything is is given to us by God. But look more specifically of how this works, okay? The, the Scriptures that we have today is a blessing. It's God's Word to us. We have God's Word in our hands today. Praise God for that. In 2 Peter chapter 1, you can turn with me if you like to. 2 Peter chapter 1, in verse 20 and 21. Now let's look at the role of the Holy Spirit here in the Word of God. Okay? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. The Bible says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation or origin. For the prophecy came not of old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So in other words, the, the scriptures that we have today, it took about 1,600 years to all complete together, the Old and New Testament together, 66 books in all, and uh, about approximately 40 people, 40 men, were those writers of the, of the scriptures, including Peter or including Paul that we see, but each of them, The writings that they have were so moved by the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit who instructed, who basically worked in their lives as they penned those words. So in other words, it was not their words per se. It was God speaking through them, writing that down. And then we have a complete scripture that we have here today. We praise God for that. So this is important. We see that the Holy Spirit was at work in bringing us the scriptures, the word of God that we have in our hands today. Praise God for that. That's a gift. Don't neglect that gift. Don't take that for granted that we have God's very words with us today. Let's then talk more specifically then the Holy Spirit in talking about the Word of God. This kind of dovetails together here. We think of the, the, the sword of the Spirit like the Word of God, or is the Word of God, but another passage that you're probably familiar with, actually Woody read it just uh, earlier today in our service, going over to Hebrews chapter 4. We're looking at a few passages today. this is important as we see this but look at another passage here and it kind of gives us the same idea of the the scriptures being the sword of the spirit look at me in in hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 the bible says for the word of god is quick or living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the word of God is like that two-edged sword. Okay, It's, it's, in fact, it's sharper than that. It's, it's the best weapon at all, I guess you could say. But anyways, this is, really gives us an idea that the word of God is like that sword, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God is given to us by the Spirit. Praise God for that. He's given it by the commander. And what does it say? To take it, verse 17, to take the word of God. In other words you're not, you're supposed to receive it or to accept it and to use it okay so very important as we see that but now I kind of want us to go back to Ephesians 6 when we think about the Word of God there's a couple things that come to our mind first of all we see in John 1:1, in the beginning was the word the word was with God the word was God okay the Greek word that we have there for the word is the logos okay which is commonly used throughout the Bible the New Testament concerning the word or word or the word of God. Okay, we also, as we just mentioned here in, in Hebrews chapter four, the word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. That's the same idea. But Paul uses a different Greek word here in Ephesians six, talking about the word of God. It's not the logos, not the actual Bible that you have here, like the complete Bible. That's not what he's referring to. He's referring to a different Greek word, and it's called the rhema, okay? The rhema, which is very simple, uh, it's is used several times, but it's talking about an utterance or something that is spoken, okay? So it has a different idea, whereas the logos would be like a book or the actual writings, scripture, if you will. What Paul is referring to here, the word of God, this is what God has spoken. This is what God has uttered. And by the way, that's all important as well, isn't it? And by the way, it goes hand in hand. Here's the important thing that we understand, that what is said must be consistent with God's word. What God has said is consistent with his word. It doesn't contradict each other. The Bible is without error. It's truth, okay, not of falsehood. We can believe that. So here's the thing. This, I think this is the, the essence of what Paul is saying here. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God or what God has said. In other words, the word rhema here you could say is this it is requiring more specific verses for specific situations. Specific verses for specific situations. You're probably thinking, what are your world are you talking about? Well, when you think about this, again, when you're in a spiritual battle and you look at what just has happened, Paul's talking about how you walk in your daily life. Walk him circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. You're talking about marriage between husbands and wives. You're talking about the family, raising children. You're talking about your employment. And when Satan attacks you at each of those fronts, how do you battle against it? Okay? How do you battle against it? It's by using the word of God, what God has said, and basically applying that to that specific situation. Okay? So here's the thing. I like this is what one commentator says here. All Jesus, as Jesus used the words of Scripture to repulse the tempter, Satan, so must the Christian the words of the Spirit has inspired to drive away Satan. So here's the thing. When Jesus, the best illustration that you and I can relate to is when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan back in Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4. It's parallel passages right there. What happens when, when Satan tempts Jesus? How does how does Jesus respond to Satan? He uses the word, the word of God. Now, now does he take his whole Bible out and starts reading Genesis through Revelation? No. He uses specific verses to respond to those specific attacks. Command that these stones be made into bread. What does Jesus say? He goes from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He used a specific verse to that specific attack. That's how you use the sword of the Spirit. Here's the thing. When, when Jesus said that word in Matthew 4.4, 4, every word that proceedeth out the mouth of God, that word there is not logos, not the complete Bible. He's using the rima, that specific utterance, that specific passage that, that, that way. Could you imagine this? Jesus being tempted uh, by Satan. Command these stones be made into bread. Well, uh, throw out a verse. You know, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Wait a minute, that that verse doesn't really go against that that teaching. Now, that's a great verse, but it's for a different purpose and a different context. So that's the difference. This is knowing how to use the Word of God specifically for specific situations. That's how you use the sword of the Spirit. Jesus is a great example of that. You see here, the Word of God is the best weapon that's been provided. I was reading this week um, an old Puritan author, William Gurnall, concerning this. He actually brought up a, a great great highlight here. He says this, that when David obtained Goliath sword, remember when David was on the run from Saul, he goes to the tabernacle at Nob and he asked uh, Abiathar, the priest there, in Abel- um, he says here, is there any weapon here? And what he say? There's Goliath's. And what was David's response when he said Goliath's sword was there? He said, there is none like that sword. Give it to me. The thing is this, as that was Goliath's sword to David, Even so, the Word of God, there is no better weapon to fight against Satan's attacks. There is no better weapon than to fight against Satan's attacks. You know, if there was a better weapon, God would have given it to us. But this is the weapon that God has given to us, His Word. Therefore, we should use it. David had to rely on God's Word. He said in Psalm chapter 17, verse 4, By the word of thy lips... I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. What God has said, what he had learned from God, helped him in that moment when he was attacked by the destroyers around him, by his enemies. There are times where we need that one verse, specific verse, to apply to that specific moment. And that's here what I believe is Paul's referring to, that the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, to use God's word effectively for that moment of crisis that you're facing. This is why we need to be in God's word. When I was thinking of this uh, passage here, talking about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, I want you to know this, don't follow my example, okay? What are you saying? When I was a child, I was, I don't know, maybe about eight or nine years old, I remember me and a friend of mine, this is in church up in northern Minnesota, and I remember we had learned something about the armor of God, and of course, you know, as boys, we're wanting to play with swords, and swords of the Spirit, hey, this is, you're speaking our language, and so what did we as boys do out in the fellowship hall? We took our Bibles and what? Sword fight. That's not what it's talking about. That sounds funny. As boys, hey, give us a little bit of grace, okay? But this is not what it's talking about. You're not supposed to go out Satan. just take the whole Bible and just whack it in his face. No, how does a skilled soldier use it? It's by knowing it inside and out. Here's the point. When a soldier, a Roman soldier, for example, would prepare for the battle, he doesn't just wake up in the morning and the battle and says, okay, got my sword on, I'm ready to go. No, that day came from hours and hours and days and weeks and months of practicing using that sword, knowing it inside and out so it literally would be a part of him. And that's an idea that we have here today as well with God's word, that we should know God's word inside and out, that when that temptation comes, when that crisis comes, where a false doctrine comes, we are prepared for that moment and we are prepared to take the word of God efficiently and that verse in particular to fight against Satan. And guess what? Satan will always lose that battle. That's important. I want you to know something here too. Uh, this is this is worth saying. In Matthew chapter 4, I'll read it just for sake of time here. In Matthew 4, when the, Satan came and tempted him, there were three temptations. Talking about stones being made bread, he talked about casting himself off the temple, and then it says in Matthew 4, verse 8, again, the devil take them to an exceeding high mountain. That word there, again. Satan came again to Jesus. One temptation, two, and then again, a third. You know, if Satan was so bold to come and try to tempt the Son of God, Would he not try to come again and tempt you? He will not give up until his days are numbered. How do you respond to that attack? You're going to have to do it by knowing the word of God inside and out. So let's talk about how then do we use the sword of the Spirit, some practical ways. I think there's three areas you can do it. Believe it, understand it, and obey it. Believe God's word, understand God's word, and obey God's word. Those are the three ways, primary ways, to use the sword of the Spirit. Believe in the power of the word, okay? Number one, God is sovereign over his enemy. His word is pure. His word is perfect. and It is right for every situation of our lives, inside and out. Praise God for that. Also, we should study the Bible that we should understand what truth is all about. OK, in uh, Joshua, chapter one, verse eight says that this book, the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate in it day and night that thou mayest observe to do all what I command thee. And then thou shalt have good success. In other words, by being in God's word, meditating upon it, understanding it, what this truth is. And then in that we need to be ready to with scripture to, as as a command, as the savior did to meet the various forms of temptation, memorize God's word. Psalm one nineteen eleven, you guys know this. Thy word have I had where? My heart, that I might not sin against thee. How important we need to have the word of God as a vital part of our daily life. This should be your habit. I pray today that today this moment was not the first time you opened the Bible this morning. Okay? Tomorrow, Monday, you gotta go to work, right? You gotta go retire, whatever you retire people do, right? Whatever it may be that you're doing tomorrow, let the word of God be a part of your day. The first part of your day, the last part of your day, whatever. Let God's word be a part of your life. Why? Because, you know what, I've encountered this so many times. I remember counseling uh, someone in Tennessee when we were living there and working at the church there, that there was a person that came and was really struggling with some pretty important issues. And my question after hearing this person talk was, well, how is your Bible reading, your devotional life going? Oh, I haven't done that in months. I pray you're not in that situation. Guess what? You can change today. Get in his word. Let this, by the way, the more familiar you are with God's word, the more you read it, the more you understand it, the more you apply it, the more you're going to be ready to face temptation. And you'll be ready to do that or face that crisis that you have. Okay. Then also believe it, understand it, then obey it. Obey God's word. And this is what it amounts to. What does it look like to carry the sword of the spirit? It's by obedience. This person obeys what God has said. This is what is important here. You see, the devil is thrilled when a Christian neglects the word, the sword. Therefore, we should not depend on our own reason, our own thinking, our own understanding, but rely on God's wisdom, on God's word. That's what it means to carry the sword of the Spirit. To use it effectively means we should believe it, we should understand it, and we should obey it. The Bible Jesus said in Luke 11, Blessed are they that hear the word of God, And keep it this is what we should do see the sword of the Spirit reminds us of the ultimate victory of Jesus the Messiah in Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2 it says and he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword in other words the Messiah the servant song or servant passage that you have there he Jesus the Messiah has all authority to overcome everything that resists him as if with a sharp sword Revelation 1 says and he hath in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword now That's the broadsword there. He can do damage. In other words, Jesus with that sword is the victor What does this look like in real life? I was kind of thinking about this Lord. How what does this look like and on Friday? I mentioned this earlier. I was able to visit with Terry honey During the visit there. Uh, we talked and about different things. She asked about the church and all that and she sends her greetings But during the visit there, I had brought over, we have the two devotionals, the Days of Praise and Our Daily Bread that are on the Welcome Center. By the way, if you want to get the Word of God, take one of those as a tool. That's your spiritual trail mix, okay? I took one of those and I said, Terry, which one do you want me to read? Let me read today's devotion for you. And so she said, read Our Daily Bread. I said, okay. So we opened up to Friday's passage that we had there, and I was just amazed, the one of the key verses mentioned there was uh, Revelation eleven fifteen. It says this, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Does that sound familiar? Handel's Messiah. Hallelujah. That's what the devotion was about. You know what? In that time, Terry's going through a trial right now, Physically emotionally she's lost bob lost really a lot of things in her home and now even with her health even more so she's going through a great time of trial and discouragement however in the word of god we took out the sword of the spirit and she took comfort in the hope of christ not in the hope so of christ but knowing christ will return and she was lifted in her spirit and i was too for that matter and in this together we drew the sword of the spirit And we attacked Satan's attack of discouragement that day. I don't know what may be going on in your life, and your mind, and your heart. By the way, that's the battleground of our Christian life is in the mind and the heart. I don't know what may be going on through your heart, what struggle you may be dealing with, but I urge you to take the sword of the Spirit. The devil has no chance against that because that's God's Word. Know it, believe it, understand it, and obey it. And when you do that, God is glorified, Jesus is victor, and we are victorious in him.